Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I like these guys, but sometimes they think they're too damn smart. Mackey and Judd. Dummies. Mm-hmm. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd today is actually a Zolgad and Collar. We're in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Joining us now, uh, Joe Stansberry, who will be on the station uh, co-hosting Tea Time at uh, 6 o'clock tonight. And uh, Joe, appreciate the time, of course. You are a uh, one-time professional golfer yourself. So without our bias being interjected first, tell me, what was your takeaway uh, from, from one, the, the course layout for uh, the U.S. Open on Saturday, and two, then, the kerfuffle involving Phil Mickelson's decision to run after a ball and hit it while it was moving? Ooh, tough questions. I, I ran into your co-host today. I asked him if it was a paid day off, and he gave me a wry smile, so I'm assuming it's, uh, that's probably true. Uh, it's absolutely true, and Dave is very bitter. Harrigan is not pleased one bit. He no, said, "Oh, not me." Dave, Dave made the point that he golfs too. Now I don't golf, so I'm fine with not being invited. But Dave didn't take it well. Right. Well, you know, Brad's there, so you know you got to you got to pick and choose who you really want. All to play the important with. people are there. Exactly. So the the, the course. I'm going to find a, a quieter place to uh, to cut, talk here. I'm with Hollis and the, and the group. They're going out with the liner guys. Um, you know, the, the course itself is such a great golf course that it really didn't need to be USGA tricked up. And unfortunately, they have a tendency to protect par. And when they protect par, they change a par 72 to a par 70. And then they'll take and put pins in places that shouldn't have been. And I think that's, that's, that's the only issue. You know, you can't control the weather. You know, everybody says it's a game played outside, so you can't control that. But for the most part, they just didn't need to put the pins in ridiculous places. Even though those greens are huge, there's, it's like they're all tabletops. And so there's only so many pin positions, and you miss it by 18 inches, and all of a sudden you're rolling off a green like Mickelson. Do you think, though, that people like me get enjoyment out of watching them struggle? And I will tell you the answer is yes. But is that is that just because I'm bad at it? So, like, even though technically maybe the course shouldn't have been that hard, I'm sitting here cackling at how much they're struggling and then actually kind of enjoying this tournament maybe more than I normally would because everyone's so mad. Yeah, I, and I, I have no problem with uh, players struggling. Um, I, I honestly didn't have that much trouble with the way it was set up. It's just that 
when the greens turn into your uh, driveway or your garage, and you have you hit a, arguably the perfect shot, and you end up fifty yards away behind a bunker, um, you're, you're almost forcing the players to play a layup and then chip on with a seven iron. So that takes away the spirit of the game. So unfortunately, that's what happened. The greens got too hard. There was no way guys are hitting, you know, eight irons in from 190 yards that are ending up in ridiculous places. So I, 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 I like it hard, but you, you know, you want to reward a good shot and penalize a bad. And unfortunately, because of the setup, they were penalizing both bad and good shots in the in the, in the in the second wave in the in the afternoon times on Saturday. So, Joe, in, in your mind, on Sunday, did, did they come back and rectify it and do the right thing, or did, did they overcorrect too much for Sunday? Well, I don't think they overcorrected. I knew they you, – you can't, like I say, you can't control the, the weather, and, and and out there on the island, you just never know. Uh, the wind could have picked up, and um, they just had to protect maybe part of themselves. Um, the USGA is different than the PGA uh, – in that there's different officials and different people setting up the greens, um, and Mike Davis, and then uh, you know, uh, and Jeff Hall, and I know Jeff Hall personally, and I tried to get him on a few years ago when they had some controversy, and it's 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 unfortunate, but you know, it's the USGA, and and the players coming in need to expect that. But I kind of got a chuckle out of Phil, you know. I mean, good. I think he, he put the pressure on himself to. He's only probably got four good, you know, good starts left. And when he hit that putt, and he knew he it was going to go off the green, he knew he had no chance to win. And at that stage, I think he just threw in the white towel. And so, <laughs> I thought it was first of all, I was like, huh, what did I just see? And then I found it kind of humorous. So, well, so my take on Phil was that. If he had actually cleverly conjured this in his head, that if I shoot this too far, I'm going to run and hit it back because I know this rule and this is like a cheat code that I'm going to use, I would have respected that. I would have been like, hey, that's the rule. So if you use it to your advantage, then go ahead because if you if you don't like it, then change the rule. But I don't think that that was it at all. I think that that was just kind of a hissy fit, don't you? I think he... Maybe he had somebody uh, when he went into the locker room said, "Oh, how are you going to cover this?" And um, <laughs> he came. He came up with uh, that. I know that the uh, the uh, walking scorer said, uh, "You know, he asked him, or Phil directed it to him. You know, I don't know what I got, and I don't care. So I don't think he, I don't think he really purposely thought about it. He just said, I, "I've had it." Um, and he knew that the ball was going to roll all the way down behind the, that bunker. Now he's got a flop shot. Um, and then expose if you once you're just sitting there and embarrassed. Okay, well, yeah, if I, if I, if you know, if I, I'm just going to take my two shot penalty. But I think that was a good smoke screen for you know Mr. Fake Smile, Phil Mickelson. So as, as longtime <laughs> golf guy, uh, why do you think that so many golf fans were offended? And then here, here's what drives me crazy about this. And you just said it. Among golfers, there seems to be a feeling about Phil that he's a complete fraud, which is fine. But what frustrated me was we had so many golf people saying, this is terrible for the game, and what are the children going to, to, to do? Why didn't we just get the story immediately? Phil's a jerk. 
Fans didn't know it. Now you do, and that this isn't surprising coming from from him. That's what frustrates me about this sort of underneath the whole surface that, you know, that this is terrible for the game. Well, no. Tell me that Phil's a jerk. Yeah, they need more reporters like you, you know, who, who, and I'm being dead serious. You know, you call a square square on the Vikings or, you know, if uh, Wiggins or Sano, for example, right? I mean, we call it, but the game game somewhat protects these players. Obviously, Dustin having to take a a self-imposed sanction for sleeping with, uh, you know, uh, somebody else's wife you know, on the tour. Uh, well, or maybe two of them. So all of those, you know, the tour has this image that I think that they're trying to protect. Tiger, I believe Tiger had some, uh, you know, steroid or drug issues. Um, no, it's never going to come out. They handled it in, internally. Um, and so maybe this way, but this, this, unfortunately, I think is a little different situation because it's run by the USDA and they are already in hot water for the setup. And Phil might have been using it as a protest. So now if you disqualify him for um, uh, the integrity of the game, um, then um, now the USJ's got more stuff. And this way, you know, Phil's just got to answer to himself and, and as, as I've heard quoted, the locker rooms. So um, that's, that's just the way I, I think. I, USGA and the hands on, maybe the PGA uh, will handle it differently. And uh, but I don't know that it'll ever come out to be public. I, I mean, anybody that I mean, I, I just get I get a kick out. I mean, Phil's always been nice to me, but I do know that you know, it fills Phil. So, and he he's got the fake smile. So, not that Joe. We had so much fun with this controversy, though. I mean, for one, because it's really not that big of a controversy. The guy just ran to the other side and hit his ball like I have done 50 times in my life sure. because. I was mad, and so it was a little bit of like, hey, I get to see this guy react like I react, like an unprofessional right. jerk out there. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but it did make me think of golf in general and how stodgy it can be about the rules and maybe lacking in some of these storylines that are entertaining for people and that everyone can kind of talk about that kind of in the in the post tiger is amazing era we've lacked things to really debate about golf and this was in a way kind of refreshing yeah you know i mean i think if uh, phil had to do it over first of all he wouldn't have done it but the second thing he might have done to you know save his name and then you know man up when he when he was walking off um, i forget uh, i think it was azinger he thought he was uh uh, you know, just walk it off the golf course. Maybe that's what he should have done. You know, I'm going to loy bip it. Lack of interest, ball in pocket, or you know, <laughs> or, you know. Yep. <laughs> so just WD and say, you know what? Uh, the course got the better of me. I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, badmouth the USGA in the setup. It was very difficult, and you know, I really wanted to win this tournament. Um, obviously, it's the one thing that's you know I've been lacking. Blah blah blah. Well, people would have looked at it a lot differently. Okay, hey, he's human. Right, mm-hmm. but to come out with you know it's kind of maybe that yes. fits into his whole mystique. Well, no, I knew the rule, and you know it's like okay, and I, and I I I don't know who the player was, but he said so. Okay, so I'm in the back of 15 at Augusta, and I uh, tip it, and it gets just trickling going over, and I know it's going to go in the front water. Well, I can just run up and uh, stop <laughs> it and, and hit it back up and, and one putt, and it'll save me. Well, that's not in the spirit of the game, and that's, I think, what's got a lot of players uh, upset. 
Yeah, uh, I I think that in this case, the cover-up was actually worse than the crime. That's pretty rare that that saying is true, but him trying to play it off like, oh, I knew that rule, and I'm just really smart and clever, and and I did it on purpose. Like, just own up to it. He would have looked so much better if he just owned it. It's funny, I even got a text from my mom, not a golf expert necessarily, who was like, why didn't he just say he was sorry? Because he's too smart. Right? He thinks he's too smart. Why not just say, yeah, I did that? And sorry. Yeah, you might be right. And and I'm telling you what, if he's telling the truth, well, then then the rules are, and, and I think maybe the rules will change, but mm-hmm. I think if he was on a, in a PGA Tour event, they wouldn't have allowed him to play the next day. Interesting. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate the time. All right, bud. Bye-bye. Joe Stansberry, I check him out tonight, uh, co-hosting Tea Time, 6 o'clock. I'm sure they'll talk plenty as, as well about today's announcement of the 3M Open coming to the TPC Twin Cities course in Blaine, a PGA Tour event. Seven-year contract signed uh, today that will start in 2019. David Harrigan, what do you have coming up in questions? Really good questions, Judd. The most bestest questions you've ever experienced probably since Friday. I can hardly wait. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Right now. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, David Harrigan. Three excellent, you promised, questions. They're going to be outstanding. They are going Colorado. to be excellent and Looking outstanding. Forward to them. Let's start with this, since we just wrapped up talking golf with Joe Stansberry. As a reminder, you can catch him tea time with Craig Tyken tonight, 6-7, to seven, breaking down U.S. Open, I'm sure, and the new tournament coming this way. We got this email earlier from Jim who said he was amazed that Phil thought uh, it was okay to stop his bad putt. But the real amazing thing, he said was when he looked up Mickelson's profile at PGATour.com, and he saw Phil is listed at 6'3", 200 pounds. <laughs> yeah, right, as he says. <laughs> okay, he's 220 at least. That's the biggest bunch of bull crap in the history of PGATour.com. Well, that got me thinking. You guys have covered a lot of teams, a lot of players. You've seen a lot of media guides, and you've probably seen a lot of lies written in media guides. What are your favorite all-time media guide media guide lies? So no comes right to mind right now. There are because that's still out there. A lot of Dominican baseball weight. players who get signed at like sixteen years old, and then no one ever updates their height and weight. So there <laughs> will be okay. yes, there will be guys <laughs> who are they're twenty six, not sixteen. Five eleven and one fifty five who are six foot. Like anyone really cares about what their height and weight is. Height and weight is a little more important when it comes to like football and prospects. They do the combine, so they've got everybody down to the T. They're 6'1", huh? Actually, my favorite might be my wife's. Her profile, which probably still exists, at St. John Careful. Fisher College as a freshman, mm-hmm. lists her as being 6'1". She is not 6'1". She's 5'11". But they no, With shoes, tippy toes, you can yeah, get to 6'1". Exactly. Put the hair up that day. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got no comeback for that. Uh, my favorite of all time was covering the Vikings, Pat Williams, who was here for uh, Fat after Pat, he left, as he was called. After yes. he left Buffalo, came here and was a very good player, nose tackle, uh, very nice player, and I believe he was listed for his entirety here 
at 6'3". Okay, that's probably about right. 317. Nope. Now, now it always stood out to me, though. Like, how do you pick 317? Yeah. It's, it, first of all, he probably went 367. It was probably his happening because there are a lot of guys who, whatever they weighed in at the Combine, that's just what you'll find on their football reference page for the rest of eternity. Okay, that makes perfect sense then. Because I never could figure out, how did you settle on, let's say, 317 when clearly you're 367? But yes, that might be, be it. That was, But the fact that they never changed it, Childress put him on the physically unable to perform list to start a training camp because he came in so fat, <laughs> and his weight never changed. Like, they never updated the roster, so that's my favorite. Well, and I used to stand in the locker room at Winter Park, and you would have, too, with oh, the yeah. scale in the middle. And so guys would come over and stand on the scale, and, you know, I mean, I'm not, like, intentionally trying to see, but you're just standing there, so you peek over, and you see, like, okay, those... Those weights, not a, not always more. Sometimes less. Sometimes it'd be a guy that's like, yeah, he's two seventy. Like oh, that says two forty eight. Mm-hmm. You know, or two. If I were to ask you, is Dalvin Cook a top ten running back in the NFL? What would you say? I think he can be. I would say yes. You would say he absolutely is, and Kala, you would say he has peripheral. The, he has the talent to be one of the best running backs in the league. It's just that he's only played three and a half games. That's fair. All right. Well, I uh, came across this list today from Jason McIntyre. Big lead. It is the top 10 running backs currently in the NFL. Dalvin Cook is not on that list, according to McIntyre. My question is going to be, which of these top 10 would you uh, X off the list and move Cook in front of? If you could, make that list yourself. Or maybe there's none. Are you ready? Okay. Starting at number one, Zeke Elliott. Okay. Mm-hmm. He deserves it. Todd Gurley. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yep. Le'Veon Bell. Certainly. Devonta Freeman. I'm fine. Kind of a comparable to Delvin Cook. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're, yeah. getting, we're getting closer to... We're what... getting, uh, I mean, he averaged six yards a carry last year, but wasn't really the full-time back. He kind of split time with... Mark Ingram. Got a full season. A lot of people do that, though. He had the full season. He was great. I mean, he was really great. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say him. Number six, Christian McCaffrey. No. 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 That's I, where we jump no. the shark, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, where's David Johnson and LaShawn McCoy? The rest of their 10 goes Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, David Johnson, and LaShawn McCoy think, at 10. I don't think uh, Leonard Fournette is better than Delvin Cook because Cook can line up as a wide receiver if you want him to. I would put Delvin Cook at least number, I think I'd put him six. Did they not have David Johnson there? Uh, they did. Johnson was nine. Oh, he was nine. But okay. he's coming off an injury. Yeah, but he's good. If I was to do, if I was to take this list and insert Cook into it, I would probably put him around six or seven. I'd take that. Yeah, I'd probably top five area. This says to me that if Delvin hadn't got hurt and had played the entire year, he he is on this list without question, and oh, he's yeah. probably about he's probably about four or five. Because Kareem Hunt got off to the insane start, and then he regressed. Yeah. Right? Like he, he was didn't just do pretty his, good the rest yeah. of the way. And I don't know if he's going to be that great. Is LaShawn still... He's still great, yeah. I mean, he's on the older side, but he carried their offense last year. Yeah. I think the top four are very, very fair. Five, I can see. After that, I'd probably redo the list a little bit, at least a little bit. So, But Delvin Cook, the thing that I love about this kid is, is the amount of things he can do. Because, you know, that's that's what got so tiresome about... Peterson is when when he started to age, there weren't other intangibles there, right? At his greatest, he was a phenomenal running back. Yeah, but that's what he did, right? With Delvin, three things. Yeah, at Adrian Peterson's absolute best, you could throw to him. 
that he would average eight yards a catch, and he could break big plays when Brett Favre. Actually, he, complete can, player. he can line up in the slot. He can line up outside if you need him to. Absolutely. He picked up on pass protection really fast. I mean, last year, it's really special when a guy comes into training camp who's never put on an NFL uniform, and the other two guys he's competing with for a job have played in the NFL. One of them had been in a Pro Bowl, and he blows by them. Speaking of Yankees, we yes. all remember. This is what it sounded like a few years back when he hit a bomb. Here's the 1-1. Swung on, driven to deep right field. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Dean Anna hits his first major league home run. A drive into the right field seats. Anna is on the Dean's list. He hits a home run, and the Yankees oh. take a 3 nothing lead. The star players are good. Is that, pre- calls, is that prepped, or did, did he think of that no, on the fly? Prepped. Oh, it's prepped. easily prepped. As okay. soon as they get a new player, I'm sure he, he spends thinks- his whole morning trying to think of, like, the what am I going to do list. with this guy? As, as I was searching for that, uh, before we get to the question, I also discovered this one. Brandon Drury hit a home run on April 1st of this very year. Swung on and drilled to deep left center. It is high. It is far. It is gone. His first Yankee home run. A two-run blast to left center. Aaron's the judge. But Brandon's the jury. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. I love it. Play it again. How good is that? Left center. Aaron's the judge. But Brandon's the jury. Oh, man. Did, okay. Did you think of yours? All right. Did you, th- I, did you thought, think of I've thought of two potential. Well, okay. there's the question then. Give me your best home run call. What would it be? Because, Kali, you said you used to call minor league ball and didn't yeah. really have a signature. So now is your opportunity, boys. All right, Matthew, it's your idea. Go ahead. All right. So for just a specific player, I've got the specific player and then just the regular home run call. Okay. For the specific player, Eddie Rosario, more like Eddie Gofario. No, that's yeah, that's I like it. That's right up the Sterling uh Sterling Lane right there. And just for a general home run call, I would want to throw back to a great commercial with Joe Buck where he was trying to show you that he could make fun of himself a little bit in the Slamma Lama Ding Dong. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the Slamma Lama yeah. Ding Dong oh, yeah. where he hit the I think that's what I would go with. It's out of here, Slamma Lama Ding Dong. I like that very much. I love the first. I like the the first one is fantastic. Uh, I've got two twins ones. Max Kepler. It's high. It's deep. It's gone. That's power to the max. Oh, I mean, oh man, John Sterling. Feel like we could do a little better. Oh man. Okay, Eddie Escobar. An Escobomb from Escobar. Oh my gosh, these are the worst ever. Yeah, they're supposed to be bad. They're John Sterling. But those Sterling. aren't even clever. They're, they're supposed to be bad. He's at least kind of clever. The uh, he's the, he's the, the that jury second is one. That second one is good. The first one, the Dean's List, is on a par with what I just gave you. Uh, I would for Max Kepler. I would throw back to the Max Power episode of The Simpsons and say <laughs> that <laughs> it was the pitch that you mustn't touch. Or the hit that you mustn't touch. You've lost me then. Well, because Homer, Cause I'm an old baseball his name fan is Max Power, like and he says, it's the name you mustn't touch. Yeah, I think that's genius. I, yeah. I don't know what Judd was doing Power there. to the Max. I don't know. 
And Escobar from Escobar. See, I was expecting once you said Max Kepler was going to be a reference to maybe something saved by the bell, the Max. But No, I'm trying to appeal I mean, to the people who still think, like baseball. I, They're all 65 years old. And I don't hate Escobar. That's okay. I mean, it's not great. Oh, it's John. It's inspired by Sterling. Yeah, but it's not any good. No, well, well, and it's a lot of really Sterling's bad. aren't very good either. That's the thing about it that makes them great. No, but every you're once just in a while he gets his, one. Though every once in a while he gets one. Well, you're just taking them I'm from not, Sterling. I'm not paid to come this up with home run calls. This is worse than your jump calls. shot. No, 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 no. Don't say no, that. That's no. really. Let's mean. go to break. That was really, really <laughs> uncalled for. I'm gonna cry. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Just have to make a little time to do it. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey. If you need him, it's trouble. Why so, is it trouble? So two is because he's young and he's going to struggle at times. Judd Zolgad. I changed my thought from a half hour ago. You are a bad person. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Thank you, David. Judd and Collar today are coming to you from, as we always do for the show, TCL Broadcast Studios. Uh, the, the news came out early this morning. Matthew Collar, that Denny Green will be inducted into the Vikings Ring of Honor in 2018. Of course, he passed away a couple of years ago. Led his team to uh, the playoffs in eight of his ten seasons as coach. That included the uh, 15-1 and season in 1998 that ended in disappointment, but featured uh, the drafting, and this was, was led by Denny of, of uh, Randy Moss. So, Denny Green. Denny Green is an interesting person in this town as far as the Vikings go, because I will give him this. Uh, there was a very... I felt that before he came aboard in 92, things had sort of gotten stale here. And what really changed that, what really changed it was was Moss being drafted in 98. Uh, but that being said, if you look back at Denny and at the success this t- team had, and we we got spoiled in this sense... We became very used to playoff appearances. Yeah. I believe they went. So he took over in 92. They surprised people by going in 92, 93, 94, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't go in 95. He was supposedly going to be fired when they had a playoff game against the Giants uh, in New Jersey that the Vikings miraculously came back in, saving his job. Um, but I would say the fairest way to put the relationship between this town and Green is it was complicated. Yeah. It was complicated. And what's from an outside perspective, since I wasn't here then, I always looked at him as just being a great coach because this was a team that had lots of different quarterbacks and they always seemed to find ways to be competitive and always in the playoffs every single year. And it was a franchise that I looked at as one that had a great culture and consistently won from the outside perspective. Like, man, I mean, that team is always they 10 went and to the six, playoffs all the time. Yeah. That's fair. And when I got here and a lot of people talked more about him, his contentious relationship with the media, yes. it seemed like was a huge deal it throughout was. his career. It was. But, I, but I also wonder if that helped him relate to Randy Moss because Moss felt the same way, not so much media alone, but everyone. That Moss early, no, it's in, a great point. Early in his exactly life, he felt like he had been let down by a lot of people. Moss trusted wasn't a, wasn't Moss, a trusting guy. Moss, to to your point, Moss trusted him, and and my feeling was that Moss didn't trust adults for the most part. So the fact that he looked at Denny as a father type, and the fact that Denny had to distrust himself, I think did help. I think it was a definite key thing, and that's why. Why, when, when Moss fell, it, it was important that, that the Vikings took him. 
Moss would, would have been great with a lot of teams, but I do think put here with that coach, put him in, in a situation in which he could at least thrive. And when Moss came to Winter Park last year and spoke to the media about being put in the ring of honor, I think that the expectation was, as cool as this is, it's just going to be like, yep, I'm really happy about it. But with Randy Moss, it's never that way. It's never what you expect. And he broke down talking about Denny Green and how important he was in his life and, and losing him and all that all that stuff. And I, to see that was really moving. And mm-hmm. I think it told you just how close those two were and, and maybe how much Green meant to the success of Randy Moss, which is really yeah, what fair. slingshotted this franchise into what it is now. That changed the entire thing. The, the Vikings were, I'd say, 91 into 92 when Green arrived. It had gotten stale, and then he, he had success. But as far as the current Vikings fan goes, as far as, as what you see now in that stadium, that is the Moss years. Moss changed the dynamic completely. Moss got a lot of people that, that might have had a casual interest in the Vikings to buy jerseys and love that team. Yeah. And th- those people are aging now, but... If you go back in 19, if uh, when the blackout rules applied, if you go back and look, I want to say the last blackout that this team experienced of a home game was the re- regular season finale in 97, and that was a playoff team. And their last game, they played the Colts here, and it got blacked out. And there was a definite sense that, that the fan base was aging and eroding, and they took Moss and it changed an entire dynamic and took this team from being sort of, eh, it's a bit stale, to being the most in thing to go to in this town. It's really impressive some of the teams that he ended up getting to the playoffs. I'm looking at his first team. And look at the quarterback. 1992, Rich Gannon and Sean Salisbury splitting starts in that season. And Rich Gannon has more picks than touchdowns and still goes eight and four. Sean Salisbury went three and one. And that was always my perception of the Vikings is that they just had like every random quarterback. Jim McMahon shows up oh, one they year. Did. Just every they did. everybody who played for somebody else or or kicked around ended up as the Minnesota Vikings quarterback, which I guess over the last couple of years has still kind of happened in a way. But I mean, Terry Allen is their running back, and he was what better with Washington, or maybe that was later in his. He career was good here, Washington. but tore his knees up. Yeah, and Roger Craig at the end of his career is here, yep. and Anthony Carter is still pretty good at that point. But um, a really great career for Denny Green, and it feels like one of those things that the farther you move away from it, the more you can kind of forget about some of the stuff on the edges, and what matters is he had an incredible career here. So he came here in 92, and and he he and Holmgren both were hired, if I'm not mistaken, off Walsh's staff in San Francisco, and what he probably doesn't get enough credit for is this. He got here as an offensive guy. And so he brought West Coast philosophies. Mm-hmm. And then he hired a guy named Jack Burns to be his OC, who had coached under Joe Gibbs in Washington. And Burns got fired pretty quickly. But what Green did, and and now it, it would be common, then it was probably not common, was he melded together the Washington philosophy offensively with with the West Coast, which is very much how we, we got to, to the point we are now, which is when we talk about West Coast, we we always just assume it's the same thing, and it's not. But Denny actually had the foresight to put together offensive philosophies, which worked. Mm-hmm. 
And and so he didn't just come and say, I'm going to run Bill Walsh's offense. He came and said, I'm going to take what Walsh does well in San Francisco, combine it with, with what worked in Washington, and then go. But the list, the early list of QBs, too, because he eventually got, got Warren Moon in a trade with Houston, and Moon still had a cannon for an arm, had a great arm. But, you know, you go and look at Sean Salisbury. And now where he made his mistake probably... Was Rich Gannon? Mm-hmm. He had yeah, Rich Gannon, Gannon, right? Yeah, and Gannon got got let go, he and went that to was what? not good. Kansas City. Yeah, he bounced around that, right? And then finally hit his stride when he got to Oakland. I want to say Rich Gannon went uh, bounced around. He went Minnesota because he was drafted by the Patriots from Delaware, and the Patriots said we're going to move you to running back, I believe. And Gannon said, "No, you're not." Oh, and so he got traded here for just a song, and he was here for a while. He started some games. I think he went to Kansas City next. I think he might have gone to Washington then. And after that, bounced to o- Oakland finally, where he found great success. Uh, but the point being is, Denny definitely deserves credit offensively for bringing philosophies and, and ideas that probably weren't entirely common to the league in 1992. He will be remembered for Moss, for the most part. But those early teams of his, getting them into the playoffs, they're kind of some of the most fun Vikings teams. I mean, 93, Jim McMahon at 34 years old is your quarterback, averaging 5.9 yards per attempt, which is just, un- it'd be unheard of now. So he's throwing all dump off, short passes and stuff. Right. Goes 8 and 4 as a starter. Barry Word is your starting I remember Barry running Word back. Well. Yes. I mean, this is incredible. Some Leroy of the rosters, Hard comes along. Some of the rosters some that ended up, I mean, Barry Word had played for Kansas City mm-hmm. and then he was shot. So every guy that was kind of shot and over with, Ends up on the early '90s Vikings, and somehow they turn it into nine and seven and making the playoffs. Defenses were pretty good too. Yeah, as I recall, Dungy, Dungy was his DC here before he took the head coaching job in Tampa Bay, and they turned out some defenses that were pretty respectable to good. That would have been they had some really nice players on Jack defense. Del Rio in his prime. Yes, yes, Del Rio in his prime. Uh, Millard gave way. Uh, Millard was at the end of uh, Burnsy, and he tore up his knee, I think, in a game against Tampa Bay at the Dome that I was at. Uh, but that opened the door for John Randall, Hank Thomas. Mm-hmm. Those defenses were good. You know who was good? It was uh, Amp Lee. I used to like Amp Lee. 49ers as well, correct? If Amp Lee had played today, he'd be. they talk about him all the time. It's like, you got to draft Amp Lee in the, in the fantasy. War- he could right. catch the ball. Warren Moon shows up. So his first three years, he has Rich Gannon, which is not great Rich Gannon yet, and then Jim McMahon, and then Warren Moon, and he's making the playoffs with these guys. Mm-hmm. And, and Moon is like 38 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. And and the thing with Denny and the media here, when Denny got here, he was loved. He came in in 92, he got the job, and he immediately, immediately said, there's a new sheriff in town. And we're all like, this is great, this is fantastic, there's going to be no more BS at Winter Park. And what fractured the relationship was there was allegations of sexual harassment that the Star Tribune found, and I believe they were at Stanford during his time there, and the relationship went from being really solid, and he he was a blustery guy, but a football coach, and that's when when he went down in the bowels of Winter Park and made the made the tape from the bunker and basically denied the entire thing. And from that day forward, the relationship between him and the press here, for the most part, was entirely changed. Mm. But he was initially loved. And people thought, this new sheriff in town act is great. 
It's hmm. fantastic. Yeah, I've seen that a few times with how the relationship with a coach changes. Oh, it can go off the charts. And usually it doesn't ever come back. It, um, it could happen here if things didn't go right for Zim for a year or so. Last year, early in the year, that could there, definitely there was happen. definitely some sense when they were 2-2. Two and two. Yep. Delvin gets hurt. Sam Bradford, we don't know when he's coming back. But with Zimmer, even when he's been terse with the media, and I think that at the end of 2016, he was really frustrated at times. I've never felt like it was over the edge, though. Mm-hmm. I never felt like it's, okay, he is just done with us, and he's not going to say anything anymore. And usually that's like panic button time, where you know that things are about to go downhill. And probably with Denny Green, his teams were really good, though, during that time. They were mostly where, good, where yes. It was, where it was kind of tense, which is unique. Yep. Usually when it's good, they're like, oh, the media keeps writing good things because you keep winning. They never put two and two together. right? <laughs> oh, we're losing and now they hate us? Yeah, I can't Weird. figure this out. It's very What's going odd. on? All right, let's come back and wrap things up. Mackie and Judd today's Old Gadden Collar. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That is good news. On 1500 ESPN. Now back to Mackie and Judd, live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. This is going to be my happy place. On 1500 ESPN. Your Independence Day, off to a running start with the Red, White, and Boom TC Half Marathon Relay and 5K. It's coming on July 4th, of course. Come out to Boom Island Park for this Twin City summer tradition. Get your run and first picnic of the holiday under your belt. If you're at the lake, out of town, that's not a problem. You can still run the virtual Red, White, and Boom wherever you are celebrating. For more details and to register, visit 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Boys, I refer you to the Twitter account of our good friend, Phil Mackey. Yes. And his scorecard. Uh, from his uh, golf outing today at the uh, TPC course in Blaine, where they, of course, announced a new agreement to have a PGA Tour event starting next uh, year. Uh, is this his scorecard, as you asked, David? Is this a scramble of some sort? Is this awful in how it went at five or good in how he started at four? I, I need an explanation. I'm very confused because according to the scorecard, yeah, Four, four, five, four, four, five. Okay, you know, he's doing okay there. And he's more through five okay. holes on the back nine we have here. He is, what, one over par. That's not Phil. He's not that good unless he's got somebody else hitting shots for him. All right. Or like you said, he's playing a scramble. But then we get to 18. He took a 10. Yeah. So he Nicholson 18. Yeah, so what's going on here? And I hope he did not disrespect this grand game. He probably did. I hope he did not disrespect this grand game of golf by doing something like running off after an errant shot and hitting it while it was still moving. No, he probably just disrespected it by hitting too many errant shots. I'm very confused by the scorecard. I I mean, at first I'm proud. I'm proud, proud, proud. And then I'm like, really? Yeah, woo. I mean, he could have... well, you you gotta wrap be, up the day hitting double digits? You got to be honest, though. I mean, you got to play it straight. And if you hit it in the water twice or you hit it behind a tree and there's nothing you could do, you got you got to put down what you actually got. Well, I, pr- yeah. so I appreciate that. His honesty but... is respectable. I'll be honest. I would have loved to be there to see it, but nobody invited <laughs> oh, I mean, me. you've gotten a 10 before, though. Well, it's been a long time. No, Dave's actually, I think, not bad. No, I'm not bad either when I play a lot, but I've gotten a 10. I mean, it's. I mean, I mean you tens could, are normal. It's for me. it's very easy to have a meltdown on a long par five that has 
like trees or sand or water or something? It is. It is. I don't know. I don't know when the last time I've had a 10. I'm certainly 8s and 9s. Do you do you think that there's a chance that he found God and told the truth on 18 and the rest is the lie? That's probably it. He felt guilty, so he's like, i got to balance this out. Yeah. He had himself at 5 over through uh, the first 8 holes of the back 9. He had to know, well, no one's going to believe this, so let's just make up a big score on the last hole. I just had one bad hole. One bad one. No big deal. Liar. If that's the case, I'm offended. Rule 14.1-1 says you can't do that in golf. I'm surprised you knew that rule. Well, what are the kids going to do? If, actually read, you can't do that in if, golf? If Phil's lying here, I mean, what's going to happen to the kids? Because God knows, after what they saw from Mickelson on Saturday, kids are going to stop golfing now. Kids no. are going to give up. The, the sport's going to have to fold. Well, we know the kids aren't paying attention to Phil or this station, so we're okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, do you? Um, well, he's not lying. Are you excited for Tunisia and England, which is going to be on television here in a few minutes? I'm guessing that my, my favorite bar downtown, Brit's Pub, is impossible to get into right now. So, yeah. A I lot have of a, Tunisian fans. So, do you know where Tunisia is? Uh, absolutely not. I'm looking it up right now. Do you, David? Yeah, it's in Africa. I know that. I okay. don't exactly know the part of Africa. Uh, Tunisia is situated on the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. Sure. Midway between the Atlantic Ocean and the Nile Delta. That's exactly what I would have guessed. It is bordered by Algeria on the west and Libya on the southeast, and it lies at latitudes 30 degrees and 38 degrees north, and longitude 7 degrees and 12 degrees east, if you were going to put that in your GPS. All right. Yeah, okay. So, go Tunisia. How big is it as far as the, hmm. its uh, population, population goes? Iceland-like? Is it way, It's probably way bigger. Iceland is the smallest, as far as population, uh, country to ever make it to the World Cup. I, I read that today. I think what we need to get on the show starting tomorrow... Is is a sounder for when the gurney comes out? How many? That's we what I think. The, we need. Oh, we've got the ambulance sound ready to go. So, how it's, many people live in Minnesota? David, uh, a couple million. Maybe I'd have to look it any up. Clue? Well, in Tunisia, there are eleven point nine million people. In oh Tunisia, wow! So it's a oh, big well, ass country. No one, they're no. They're, then they shouldn't be here. I thought they were going to be the little, you know, the little train that could. No, they're five and a half million here. Oh yeah, no. Well, then they're fine. Iceland, I was reading, 350,000 or so is the entire population. That's it? And they love themselves some Icelandic soccer. Their first match of this World Cup, of all TVs that were tuned on, uh, that were turned on, 99.6% were watching the soccer wow. match. And they're the ones that, that started the skull chant, right? Oh, yeah. That's the Icelandic yes. thing, yep. the skull chant, which still to this day sort of creeps me out and I don't like. Yeah, we ripped them off here. That's what we do. Uh, the word Tunisia is derived from Tunis, which means a central urban hub in the capital of modern-day Tunisia. Are you rooting for them now, or are you trying to pick a team? Yeah. I, I mean, got to pick a team. I still haven't picked a team. I see no reason, looking through their Wikipedia, that we shouldn't be cheering for Tunisia. Although England has not won. Is, this is their sport. I believe they have won. Is it the last one a World Cup in 1966? Long time ago. I don't, don't cheer for the English. I don't understand no. how they don't, but I don't understand how they don't win a World Cup every once in a while, at least. Soft. I think it's their culture. 1966 is ridiculous. I mean, that's their sport. Yeah. Churchill ain't leading them anymore, Judd. <laughs> okay. I just, this, I'm surprised. This is the only way I can consume My the guys World are Cup. I'm very depressed by this. 
is like when teams start getting knocked out and stuff, then I stop wanting to be interested in it. Yeah. Because then I'm like, oh, Mexico. I know Mexico. Germany. Great. I've heard of them. But when Tunisia pops up, then I can learn something. Go home and watch it then. Maybe. You're not going to. I've got film You're going to go I've shoot baskets. To break down. You're going to go shoot baskets. We're we have, done. We have a photo shoot after this. Uh, I don't John. even want to talk about it. I don't look good. Mackie and Judd returns tomorrow. Thanks to Collar for uh, sitting in for Phil today. GL is up next. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.